Hey, on this episode, I'll be speaking with Dr. D. Todd Russell, originally published on his new show, Dentrepreneur Show. And if you don't know, Dr. Todd Russell is a dentist in the Ohio area, and he has now acquired nine dental practices and counting. And he and I were in person for this episode, originally published on his show. We talk about the small business owner mindset, synergies between physical therapy, mergers and acquisitions, and dental practice mergers and acquisitions, as well as synergies, the pros and cons, the similarities and differences of this world between dentistry and physical therapy. Obviously, there's a lot of similarities, but check out the show. We did it in person, filmed in downtown Brooklyn when he visited New York City recently. And again, if you don't know who I am, I'm Dave Kittle, owner of Concierge Pain Relief, home physical therapy in New York City. And the CEO of the Fieldmaker Group, we're currently speaking with practice owners about acquiring or partnering with them or acquiring some or all their practice in the New York and New Jersey area. And I'll kick it over now to Todd for the full episode. Here you go. I spent the last three years learning from some of the most ingenious mergers and acquisition specialists around. And now I've decided to take the leap into buying businesses. The real questions are, how will I do it? How much of the behind the scenes can we really show? And how can business owners like you maximize their purchase price and build generational wealth? This show is going to give you the answers. Join me and follow along as I share mine and other stories as we buy, sell, or merge healthcare businesses and physical therapy practices. I'm Dave Kittle, and this is The Dave Kittle Show. Hello, and welcome to The Dentrepreneur Show. This is Dr. D. Todd Russell. With me today, again, is one of my favorite guests, mainly because he got me started in this. He is a physical therapy extraordinaire, owner of Concierge Physical Therapy in the Brooklyn and New York area, which we did our teaser special not too long ago uh, with the skyline of Manhattan in the background. And we are still here again today with Dave Kittle. Dave, welcome again. Dr. Todd, thank you so much for having me. Again, I want to thank you for inspiring me to do this. Your show is excellent. If you, anyone hasn't tuned in yet, please listen to the Dave Kittle show. He does a phenomenal job with some fantastic guests. I think you'll really like Dave's show, even though it's not dental per se, but there are so many synergies between our businesses. We have a, a clinical modality, clinical care modality component. We have a business, small business mindset. We have culture of multiple people working together. We have standalone locations. It's all there. It's all very, very similar. Dave, so obviously we hit on the, in the, uh, in the intro, or I should say in the hype video we did not too long ago about sort of my big question. I've had several guests on so far and I'm keeping with this theme early on. But to me, it's really important having been through multiple things. And you may not even know this about me, but first I was, you know, I went to dental school. I then was a resident. I then was an associate for somebody. I then partnered in a practice. I then opened up my own almost cold, bought a very small practice grew that to a top 1% practice, sold it to a DSO. Then that triggered me when their culture of management changed. I went and started my own. I call this a DPO because I want my doctors to be partners financially as well as mindset with me. And you know now I'm on the strategy consultant side and a podcaster. So that's my sort of my history. And it's interesting. All of those things have brought me to this point. And the last being the podcaster because of you. So again, thank you very much. How about your history? Where'd you start out? Well, I've, I've always been an entrepreneur, was selling magazines in high school, and just I've always kind of been scrappy yeah. with different little side hustles and things like that. I've had 
Actually, I was telling you and Chris Vandeford at lunch today, since we're meeting up in, in New York City, that it was in 2013, 2014, I was selling an iOS and Android app. I started a small software company. We were selling a HIPAA compliant, a secure HIPAA compliant messaging app. It was kind of like WhatsApp, but like for healthcare practice owners, where practice owners, the staff could interface with this with the patients and the staff could text very easily, mm-hmm. uh, but they didn't have to give up their cell phone numbers. They, you know, in physical therapy, some physical therapists give out their cell phone number. Yeah. Like if you were my patient, yeah, right, I would right. Give yeah, it's a double-edged sword. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah, you want exactly. to be open and honest and helpful, but at the same time... Exactly. So that was my foray into technology and applications, uh, iOS and Android apps and things like that. I was selling that to private practice owners, got that into 11 states. And then I was telling you guys over lunch that you know we had software bugs. I had a technical co-founder. He was actually living in Switzerland at the time. And there became a bunch of software bugs that that individual was not able to fix or repair. And then the app for my paying customers, like you as a practice owner, the app no longer worked. And so I had to refund money or cancel people's recurring monthly memberships for the service. Long story short, it was a failure. I learned a ton. And uh, since then, I kind of have... I started Concierge Pain Relief, have grown that, got through COVID, didn't qualify for any PPP money because we grew during COVID. So you can look up my name and the practice name online because you can see who yeah. got what PPP money. So we didn't qualify for any money. So that was an interesting component of it all. And now I built a small board of individuals, three individuals total. And we are partnering with practice owners. We're acquiring practices in the New York and New Jersey area. That's kind of where you and I connected. Right. And that's kind of like my background in terms of like entrepreneurship and, and where I'm at right now. You know, and let's give another plug since we can do that on this show. We can talk about anything we want. But you I do want to... I want true. <laughs> but I want to send out some a plug for Len Wright, Acquisition Affectionado. Yes. Uh, it's an online magazine. He just launched it a couple of years ago. Really interesting guy. Canadian fellow from the western side of Canada over outside of Vancouver. I think he's about two hours outside of Vancouver. Really, really dynamic guy to talk to. You connected with him. I connected with him. I wrote a piece for his uh, online digital magazine. It is excellent. The, the, the people that he has brought to it, you sort of write your own, and then he obviously helps you edit it. I don't know about you, but I write, and I think it's, it's like a monkey wrote it or a gorilla. And so I always need somebody to clean it up for me. But it makes me sound go. better than I really am. And go. anyhow, Len helped me do that. So just a plug Shut for... Up. Yeah. Great dude. And check it out. Acquisition Affectionado. All right. So the big question, Dave, today, let's start with this. We already touched on it earlier, but at what point in your career are you thinking about an exit from your business? Let's just say in general for now. We're looking at at least probably 10 years out. We're not looking for anything... Maybe it's my age. Maybe it's my immaturity, my inexperience. We're the same age. In case you haven't picked this up on YouTube, we are the same age. Uh, <laughs> clearly, I'm the older brother, but not by much. No, go ahead. Sorry. No, no. So, <laughs> you know, we are looking to partner or acquire practices. So kind of like acquire 70% or in some cases, it might even be 100%. If the owner is looking to get out, if we believe that we can be better operators or have enough operating time and capacity to then be the, the main operator there or kind of train one of the main physical therapists to kind of step in and ascend in the organization, step into some of those roles, like the billing, the HR, the hiring, the firing, right. the training of the front desk staff who's answering the phone, those types of things. But my team, you know, we're, we're kind of at the starting blocks for deals and we've had some deals fall through. We've had letters of intent and offers decline because of a bunch of different reasons, such as 
overvaluation of the practice valuations where we really have owners, we believe we're putting out competitive but fair offers. And a lot of the offers haven't been accepted. And, and we know and believe what you know the market is bearing right now. But some of these owner, other owners are, are holding off for different reasons. So when you're talking about when I'm talking about an exit, right? So it's um 35 years old, 36 years old in the dental world, I consider that sort of the start of the rest of your career. We finished dental school. So if you're a, a traditional student, you've graduated high school at 18, you graduate college at 22, you graduate dental school at 26. Okay. Again, straight through, you didn't do a, um, a victory lap in college for an extra year. Maybe you took a year off. It doesn't matter. So you're 26. After 26 in dental, you can electively do a residency. Let's say it's a one-year residency. We have something called a GPR too, but for all intents and purposes, a type of residency. You're now 27. Now you start to work for somebody. Generally, the places we go to work nowadays are the larger DSOs. Nationwide, you know them as Dental Work, Aspen Dental, uh, Pacific Dental, Refresh Dental is another one in our region. And you go to work for them because you can gain speed and experience and you get paid. Coming out of dental school, saddled with $300,000 combined dental school undergraduate debt, practiced for a couple of years. And Malcolm Gladwell wrote the book, Outliers, one of my favorite books. And we'll touch on at the end here what influences we have. But as you uh, listen to my show and watch me on YouTube, we'll get into some of those things, what shaped me and what should be shaping you. Malcolm Gladwell talks about 10,000 hours, how after 10,000 hours at doing something, you become the expert. My belief is in dental, sure, 10,000 hours, 2,000 hour working year, that's five years, but really you're doing so many different procedures, it takes a little longer. All of a sudden you're 32, 33. Now you've been working for a doc, now we're starting to transition to ownership. Maybe you're buying him or her out or you're out searching for one to buy. Bam, you're 35. Now, are you thinking about an exit? My answer is yes. Okay, because I think you need to know where you're going to go. It could be close the door scenario. Maybe that's what you want to do. Not advised, but maybe that's what you want to do. Right. So it's your children. You're 35. Do you have kids at this point? Maybe, maybe not. But legacy is always a possibility. Bring on associate. Know what those contracts look like. Understand how big your practice has to get to bring someone on. Make sure that you're a cultural match. Chris Vandeford made a good point on your show about bringing buyer and seller together, right? Multiple times. They have to be friends, if you will. You don't get to be friends in two minutes walking around looking at the office. And then finally, selling to a large corporation or a small regional corporation, whatever it is. I think at 35, you need to start thinking about those paths and learning about them. Doesn't mean you're going to execute them. And your options. Like you don't, an exit strategy could be you sell 60%. Mm-hmm. But most people think it means 100% and like you are out of the job. Right. So can maybe, I don't know, I think maybe you would want to touch on that briefly of like sure. the, the options for a 35-year-old or 45-year-old dentist or associate dentist out there, they might be able to sell 51% or 60 or 70% of their practice, but have a, a piece, a smaller piece, but in a large organization right. with you or some other regional or national buyer, it, it doesn't mean that someone's going to buy your practice and like now you have to go find a job at the hospital or some other clinic. Right. And I tried to model my company after a similar concept like that. Having partners, and that's my question to you, is it possible? And do you want to have physical therapists who are you know, not career dentists for you, right? They're not career workers. They're actually part owners in their therapy centers still with you. So they own 40%, you own 60%. That's the ideal partner, isn't it? 
our incentives are, would be aligned. So yes. And then we would probably spend less time checking in on them or babysitting them. We certainly would still be coaching them, supporting them. Right. Implementing but, systems that you guys... But you wouldn't have to be in that office picking up paper clips ah, if they own 40%. Right, right, right. Because right. right. they would be doing it. They would be incentivized to treat it like their baby the way you treat right. your practices. So one of the exits, and this is a good segue to my next question, but one of the reasons why the dental world has sort of consolidated with these DSOs is because of this multiple of EBITDA concept. And for those of you that don't know what EBITDA is, I kiddingly told my friends one time not too long ago, and I get speared for it every time now, is that it's a newer term. It is not a newer term. Did you know that EBITDA is actually a term of the 1980s? Well, you told I told you that on the show? Okay. Yeah. So I think it was on the first show. So I found that to be really interesting that it was actually a term used to determine failing businesses in the 1980s. And so now it's turned into how we measure the success of a company. And then that's what it's sold by. So the more revenue you have, the bigger the net operating income or EBITDA and the more multiples you can get. So if you're a practice owner in a large group, but you only have 40%, but you have 40% of your practice, but when you merge it with 20 other practices on your own, you could sell your practice you own 100% for four times, as we discussed, or you could take 40%, let somebody else have 60% and collectively sell it for 10 times. The number is much better for you at the end. And so that's something to think about when it comes to this exit strategy. I don't know if I would do it at 35 but it's certainly at 45, I'd be starting to think about, is this consolidation for me and looking around to see who I might be aligned with? Again, I talk about culture. Would you see the same thing in physical therapy or just in any business in general? Have you, you've talked to so many people, Dave. What, would you tell me you've done 60 on the Dave Kittle show? You had a podcast part of that where you guys ran off 80. I mean, you talked to a lot of people. So tell me, what have you seen? I've seen not everything under the sun because you have more experience in this than I do, but I definitely have seen a lot of variation. What I mean by that is some owners that are maybe in their 60s or 70s that either they might have some health issues or they're just kind of just done with it all. And they're looking to exit. They're looking to sell 100%. They may or may not have a right-hand person to then step in. So then that would be the responsibility of the buyers, which then factors in the valuation all that. But also we have spoken with several younger physical therapy owners that Mm -hmm. are younger, I say, in their 40s or 50s, where they are interested in exiting, but keeping a piece in something bigger. So where they keep 30 or so percent of their practice, we might buy or acquire 70% or 80% of their practice, and they retain some equity because they want to they want to come along for the ride. These are some of their words that they've said right. to us. And that's great. So then that means because we built some rapport and, and they kind of understand like our pet. And that, you know, that may or may not have been part of the conversation with them of the whole thing of like their, their equity is worth this right now. But your other 40%, if you come along for the ride with us for the next five, seven, 10 years, yep. it could be worth more based on this other EBITDA multiple if we were to exit and sell to a larger strategic, a PE firm, et cetera. It can also keep giving. I'm aware there's one organization, actually several, but one in particular that's in my head where you can stay on and let's say you have 40% of your practice or 40, maybe by 51, you have 49. Like someone will do that as long as they get controlling interest. You still collaborate on all the decisions. You're still part of the day to day. But if push comes to shove, they may go ahead and go, you know, like this, I got, there's my 1%. We got to go this way. So you're going to lose in that case. But 
they'll allow you at the next turn, as it's termed, sale to the next person or group. You don't have to sell off all your 40%. You might be able to sell 10% or 20%, half of your 40%. And you sell that off, take a chunk of change off the table, leave it in, continue to receive W-2 income for what you produce or however you work. The success of the practice is still dependent upon you and your team. Now you're left with a smaller percentage but of a higher valued company that's then going to grow again. And maybe now you take 10% of that remaining half of that 20% off. And you can keep going like this for as long as the company is going. And maybe eventually they get to a buyer who says, okay, we want to be done with that. Quite frankly, I think that would be foolish because I like the idea of my partners having equity in the company. I know that we've tried in the past with options So options are a share in the company and it's gifted to you. But if you leave, it comes back kind of a thing. Mm -hmm. After a period of time, there's some vesting and different things where you can keep them. But still, that's meaningless to many, many people. They don't Mm -hmm. understand it. It's when they write a check and put a dollar in. That's a huge difference between free founders equity or or gifted equity versus if they cut a check for it. They pony up the money for it. Right. Big difference. Yeah. Yeah. And so your experience in with this, the private equity concept. So there are we, my company that I'm a, you know, the founder of, I have a private equity partner. A lot of our rollups are being, our consolidation is being driven by private equity. How are you seeing in, in physical therapy? Are you seeing that? There's a lot, pretty much all of the, other than USPH, which is a public company that owns at least 500 or more locations all over the country. Mm-hmm. They're public. So they're, you know, they have public investors and, other than that, the large private corporates that are 100 locations or more, mm-hmm. all of them are private equity backed. Yeah. So they are the ones that are typically on the buy side. There's obviously smaller regional type buyers like us or, or, or you know, somewhere in the, in the middle tier. But most of them are private equity backed that have 100 or more locations. So they're, they're more of like the financial buyers. We can go into that a little bit. If you need yeah, no, no. I, my question that was be, you don't have to necessarily name names, but... Like I mentioned to you, there's a couple out there in my space that I, I want to say I modeled myself after because I don't think I've succeeded necessarily. But are there a couple out there that you like how they are doing business, how they are acquiring practices, how they are marketing themselves and modeling their their insurance billing practices? Is there somebody out there that sticks out to you? Well, yeah. So Alliance Physical Therapy Partners, I've had CEO Richard Lever on my podcast on the Dave Kittle show twice. And one of his VPs, Steve Tolger, VP of M&A for Alliance. And mm-hmm. they have about 110 locations and they keep the local regional names. So I think they have somewhere around 15 or 20 regional brands, but none of them are named Alliance. So they keep the mom and pop local name for the most part, or once they have a, a, a mom and pop name that has been around for a long period of time and they had call it anywhere from 10 to 20 locations, then if they, they'll have tuck-in acquisitions that are, that'll go into those local brands. Right. I like what they're doing. Once they acquire a practice, it's always a partnership model. So they're not really buying 100% of the equity of the practice. Right. The practice is very similar to what you're doing. Right. The practice owner is staying along for the ride. They are at the very least going to stay for two years or so approximately. Mm-hmm. Don't quote me on that, but it's somewhere in that range or longer. Yeah. If they want, if they want to, and if they they still have the equity, then they would be incentivized to stay and grow that. That you know, if they still had twenty or thirty percent of equity, and then also what they do is they add, you know, legally and compliantly value added resources. So, for example, 
they switch every practice to their own in-house electronic medical record. They're one of the only corporate buyers or national buyers that has their own customized in-house electronic medical record. All the other companies right. that are regionals, they go in and go with one of the vendors nationally. Right. Right. They also have orthotics. So they have a, a technology for ortho- custom orthotics for patients. They have this thing called Agile agile virtual care. So they have telehealth because of COVID and coming out of COVID, mm. telehealth for physical therapy, triage, and where you can, you can only do so much with virtual physical therapy, but they have a whole platform already built. So it's yeah. like they plug in these new acquisitions, these new partners, and immediately the next day, that partner, that owner that still keeps 20 or 30 or 40%, now they have access to a lot more support and resources than they did when they were independent. Mm. It's almost they're they're just they're diversifying themselves within the field. They're diversifying themselves, multiple revenue areas, right? And that adds to the valuation over time. It also allows you to experiment a little bit. You get to a certain point, and you can say, you know, maybe this is another path, and run with it and see where it goes. You know, there is in some of our consolidation. You know, you've got uh, dental specialties, you've got uh, pediatric dentistry, you've got oral surgery, orthodontics. And so some of the larger groups are actually buying up those groups as well. And then, as you said, the tuck in movement merging, you know, buying, buying Dr. Kittle, the orthodontist and moving him into Dr. Russell's space because it's big enough just down the road. And then we co-practice, but in our different disciplines within dentistry, it's a, it's a similar idea. Let's see, when I ask about the private equity thing and the roll-ups in dollars and cents, have you seen any of the, how do I say this without, I don't want to sound inappropriate in any way, but have you seen where the physical therapist is the key person and the, you know, they're, they're still running the company with private equity money, or is it mostly when the therapy centers, they're, they're run by the private equity people and they bring on their own sort of, it's, I always assimilated to a, a football team. We were talking earlier about you being a Philadelphia Eagles fan and I'm sorry for your loss, yep. but well, you know, you bring in a new GM, what does he do? He fires the coaching staff and brings in his own guy and all that kind of stuff. Yep. You see a lot of that in physical therapy. Do you see the therapist still being involved in the day-to-day ops well, or, yeah. or the, you know, the growth and development too? Well, it depends on the clinic director level, the owner level, the staff physical therapist. I mean, there's always going to be yeah. those jobs that are needed for physical therapists. Yeah. And many of them, you know, like when I when I joined a previous job, like I, you know, I was with the seven location practice. And in that transition, they had raised private equity money and then they started acquiring practices in that time. And then my wife actually joined that same practice as a transition from one name to the now regional okay. name. Okay. And there wasn't too much of a change. I think they might've went from, you know, 45 minute visits to 30 minute visits per patient. So a little bit of a squeeze, a little bit of a tightening, but it still didn't really, in my opinion, it didn't sacrifice the quality of care. And probably that, that group of seven and the other group that they had were probably functioning pretty well anyhow. So they're buying an existing component, not really necessarily reinventing the wheel, buying it, tweaking it a little bit, but in the meantime, using it more as the acquisition is the growth strategy, not getting not organic growth or right. As blood from a turnip, maybe in some cases it's, you know, it's really humming. It's one of the top 1% producing therapy centers in the United States. Okay. Well, let's not go. Let's just keep that, let that cash go and help us to acquire more like it, Mm -hmm. you know? So my next question here is if you could tell the seller one thing about their future and they're in, in private practice in entrepreneurship, I guess, would be there too, in ownership. What's the most exciting or what are the most exciting things you see for that person heading down this path right now? What are the most exciting things? Well, they have 
depending on their the financial health of their practice mm-hmm. and potentially their age and their health and all these other factors, right. all their motivations. Right. If they're starting the process early, which I hope they do for content like this, mm-hmm. they have or they will have more options. They will have more leverage in the negotiation yeah. versus if, like you said, if they wait until they're 65, 75, 80, then they'll have some potential health issues or just can be completely detached from the practice. At that point, those types of owners will typically get squeezed and sell for pennies on the dollar, as opposed to if you're learning about the whole process early. And it could be you take you know the next 5, 10, 15 years to follow you, follow others, and learn about this whole process. Evaluate like why did this buyer buy this and see if you can get mm-hmm. some information from brokers and advisors on like approximate EBITDA ranges and our practices in healthcare, are they valued you know, in this range? Are they valued at like three or four X EBITDA? Or how can I get valued at five or six X EBITDA? It's not going to just be because you want it. Right. You actually have to show it and prove it. So right. that all takes time. Yeah. And you can't hide it or lie about it. As you had an experience more recently with the right. group he was looking at, you were looking at, and your team was looking at, and you got eight months, but the full story was told in 12 months. Yeah. Interesting, right? Yeah. I'll echo what you're saying, but I think one of the more important things that I touched on it before with knowing the paths that you can potentially take, learn about them now. If you are an older doc listening to this podcast or watching on YouTube and you're thinking about retirement, now's the time to start planning for it. That doesn't mean you're selling in six months. I'm hoping that you're giving yourself a three to five year runway before you actually execute. And the other thing to think about is it's not an all or none transaction. You can actually sell a portion of it, help your associate out, let them learn your systems, improve your systems maybe, but start thinking about it now. And then the other thing is surround yourself with some really good people. And by that, I mean a practice broker who you keep around, a good accountant, obviously a good attorney, maybe a business coach. Myself, I've got, in addition to being a roll-up that is buying dental practices, Dave buying physical therapy practices, we also have consulting businesses. So we'd be happy to talk to you and help you with these these plans and and help you with valuation and understanding the key points that you're going to need to track, to maintain, to demonstrate, show your work to, to someone else to help with your valuation. So key people, keep them around, have them help you is really... I think paramount, no matter what age you're at. Oh yeah. It's, it's all about the people. Yeah. All right. I'm going to close with my other favorite question. I've been asking my guests and I'll use mine. I've used one already. I'll give you another one. I mentioned Malcolm Gladwell. So that's where I'll Gladwell or Gladwell. I will leave a segue into it. Tell us something or someone, or I had one guest read a poem, something that influenced influenced or continues to influence you. I used Vince Lombardi. I've quoted Jack Welch from GE, the former CEO, Gladwell. So books, persons. How about Dave Kittle? Your wife is not a lot. You can't see no, your wife. Fine. And I will not recite a poem or, or sing a song. <laughs> okay, but good. What I, and I don't even, I can't even <laughs> recite it all, but from Theodore Roosevelt, the man in the arena, it was a speech. I don't think it was a poem. I think it was a speech yeah. of his. Yeah. And it basically... We're, it's talking about individuals like us, individuals watching and listening, which are the folks that went out there and gave it a go mm-hmm. and took a risk, a risk by starting the practice that you're in right now, taking risk, taking more action than the average. Yeah. And that the, the speech of the man in the arena is something that has always resonated with me. Like I said, I've always been an entrepreneur. I've always had, even when I was younger, little side hustles and things and kind of made my way like that. 
And um, in terms of an actual person, one of the the biggest acquirers ever is uh, Bernard Arnault. So he's a French guy. At any given time, he's the richest person in the world. Right now, it might be second or third. He owns LVMH, so Louis Vuitton, Moet Hennessy. Have you heard of this guy or the, oh, yeah. or the brands? Oh, yeah. Okay. Do you know how he started? I do not. I want to say grocery stores, but maybe I'm wrong. He started in his father's construction company. Okay. This company is, I don't have the figures in front of me, but it's a multi-billion dollar company. I think they're, I don't know, hundreds of billions in revenue and, uh, you know, multiple tens of billions in EBITDA per year. And now that's like massive action. And, you know, that's uh, like the top of the top, but it just shows what's possible. And especially there's numerous examples here in the United States in terms of, you know, Americans that have gone out mm-hmm. been the man in the arena, the man or woman in the arena, taking action, taking risk. And so you can certainly do that on your own. You can also do that with a group like you in terms of like learning from you or mm-hmm. growing through that way. There's multiple ways, but those are the, those are just some of the uh, areas of influence. When you asked me, that's what came to mind. I, uh, we talked earlier, I mentioned, uh, you, you call it modeling. I call it plagiarism, but it's okay. It's legal. This particular case, uh, that plagiarism comes more from chat GPT, which is now AI all over the place. We're all reading about it, but nonetheless, it's, we can learn from each other. I saw this thing today walking through the airport in an ungodly early hour to get here to be with you. (laughs) And it's that, I think it's the ad space for pass it on or something like that. It's called pass it on. There's always these messages. I've never gone to their website, but it was a picture of Abraham Lincoln, failure, 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 success. And as I walked by at 4.30 in the morning, I was like, boy, that's powerful. Well, because Abraham Lincoln, I don't know if you know that, but Abraham Lincoln, he had been, he had run for office and Senate and Congress and A whole, yeah. it was like 10 yeah. or 15 different uh, levels of government. Right. And he always would lose, lose until he ran for president. Like, yeah. how insane is that? Yeah. It's like, crazy. So he basically, he had no real tenure experience in office, in an office anywhere. And he was hated for that. He didn't have the experience. But still, I just thought that those, just the way those words were written failure, 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 success. Yep. It happens. It's okay. Well, thank you for joining me today, Dave, on uh, Dentrepreneur. I'm Dr. D. Todd Russell. I can be reached on this YouTube channel. Please follow me, like me, podcasts through Apple and Spotify. Also follow the Dave Kittle Show on all those same multimedia outlets or whatever we want to call them these days. Platforms, thank you. Dave, how can we be reached? You can reach out to me on LinkedIn, Dave Kittle, K-I-T-T-L-E. We can connect on LinkedIn if you want to send me a connection there. My practice website is conciergepainrelief.com or you can shoot me an email, dave at conciergepainrelief.com. And like I said, I'm Dr. D. Todd Russell. Thanks for joining us. I can be reached through my website, dentrepreneurllc.com or via email at dtoddrusselldds at gmail.com. Hey, it's Dave Kittle. Are you a healthcare business owner or physical therapy practice owner who is looking to figure out your succession plan or exit strategy? We might be able to help. And in fact, we may be interested in acquiring your practice. If you're interested, you can reach out to me. Shoot me an email at dave at conciergepainrelief.com. That's D-A-V-E at C-O-N-C-I-E-R-G-E, painrelief.com. Or you can call me at any time, 646-781-8884.